Well, I'm pretty fired up about this series dealing with depression. We're going to do a, a three-week series on this subject. And as we dive into this, I want to just first thank Pastor Chris Hodges uh, for his book and for the sermon series he preached called Out of the Cave. Uh, I, gl I gleaned a lot of content uh, from his messages from his book. And the reality is all of us in life have extreme down days. And some of you would even say that you've battled some type of anxiety or depression. And I know that's true for me. I, I, I've had some extreme down days, but there was a season in my life several years ago that I battled depression. And so as I teach this series, it's from a personal place. It's from a pace, pl place of pain. It's from a, a place when I was isolated. Uh, I was thinking crazy thoughts. I was alone. I was hurting. I was ready to give up. It was the one time in the 19 and a half years of pastoring People's Church that my wife and I contemplated, should we resign? Should we step aside? Can we really do this? Can we handle this? And I was just in a bad place. And so I know what it is to, to struggle with depression. I have a lot of empathy when it comes to this particular subject. And right now, there are many people who are experiencing depression. The pandemic over the last 19 months has had such a negative impact on people's mental health. Did, did you realize that, that this pandemic, that, 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 that at the beginning of this pandemic in 2020, that the mental health hotline number went up 900% in 2020? The CDC says that one out of four young people under the age of 30 considered suicide in 2020. One out of 10 for everybody 30 years and older. Divorce filings went up 20%. Antidepressant medication went up 300%. Listen, it's not just a COVID pandemic. It's a mental health pandemic. People are struggling. And I believe this with all of my heart, that the church is supposed to be on the front lines of helping people through these struggles. We're not supposed to sit it out on the sideline. God has called us to make a difference, to bring hope, to bring healing. We're supposed to be a part of the solution. And before I dive into the heart of today's message, I, I want to share a few introductory thoughts about depression. And the first is this. There are biological reasons for depression. I, I'm not an expert. I'm not a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, a psychologist. But as you study depression, there are biological issues that can happen in our minds. It's, it's real. And I'm not here throughout this series to talk about the biological reasons for depression. I'm going to leave that to the experts. But here's what I want us to get in our hearts today. We can't allow biology to have the whole narrative or else we will miss some of the real solutions to win the battle over depression because it's not all just biological. So that's what this series is all about. A second introductory thought is depression is not just a malfunction of the mind. It's a signal from the mind. The depression is telling us something is off. It's a 
signal. It's telling us something is wrong. I know when I battled depression, it was a signal for me to let me know something is wrong. Something is off, Herbert. And today, if you're battling depression, I want you to know it's a signal letting you know something is off. There's a third introductory thought, and that is there's a stigma around depression. During our 21 days of prayer in August, on one of the Friday morning 6 a.m. prayer services, after the prayer service was over, I walked out into the hallway, was talking to some folks, and someone said to me, Pastor, you're wearing glasses. And I was pausing to continue to listen. And I like it. Good. That's good. That's good. That's a, that's a positive. Good, good job by you. Good job by you. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm wearing glasses. I, I didn't know you wore glasses. I said, yeah, I, I, I wear them uh, usually on the weekends. I, I actually typically wear contacts. Without contacts, I can't see good at all far away. And so when I'm not wearing my contacts, I wear my glasses. That person didn't go, you don't have any faith. What's wrong with you wearing glasses? No, no, that person did not look down on me because my eyes don't function at a top peak level. My, my, my eyes just, they, they, they struggle some. And some of you would say, yeah, that's me, my, my kidney or my heart or my leg or my toes or my, my hands. Some of you would say, it doesn't function at a top level that it should function at. And yet none of us look at somebody who's struggling with their, their hand or struggling with their eyesight and so they need to wear glasses or, or like me wearing contacts. Nobody, nobody looks down on somebody because they're struggling with their, their leg or their arm. But but I want us to understand that the mind is a part of the body, and sometimes people's minds don't, 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 don't function at the highest level. And that we have to understand there's not a stigma. We shouldn't look down on one another because someone is struggling in the mind, just like we struggle with our eyes or with our heart or with our other areas of our body. It, it can be a stigma, and it shouldn't be. You can get help today. You can be honest today. And the fourth introductory thought is people in the Bible struggle with depression. I just want you to understand that depression is not anything new. Somebody needs to know you're not alone. I've struggled with depression and that there were great men and women in the Bible who struggled with depression. One of them was a prophet named Jeremiah. He wrote the book of Jeremiah, and, and he wrote these words in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 15, verse 10. He says, I wish I had never been born. Brother struggling. I'm always in trouble. He's always in trouble. Nothing's going good. Brother's not having success in anything. Always in trouble with everyone in Judah. I never lend or borrow money, but everyone curses me just the same. He's struggling in his mind. And Jeremiah, some of you, I love to just educate our church about the Bible. The, Jeremiah also wrote the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. And the book of Lamentations, it's, 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 it almost feels like it's dedicated to depression, I mean, you should read the book of Lamentations. You want to be depressed, just go read Lamentations. It's a book on sadness and gloom and despair and agony. I mean, Jeremiah struggled with depression, and he's not the only person in the Bible to struggle with depression. I could point out uh, other biblical characters, but today I want to zoom in on Elijah. 
Elijah, the prophet Elijah, struggled with depression. And today, I want to give you six ways you get into the cave of depression. You see, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9, when Elijah was struggling with depression, the Bible says that Elijah went into a cave, and that's what depression will do. It will drive you into a cave. You'll find yourself in the cave of depression. So today, I want to talk to you about how you get in the cave of depression, but I promise you next week I'm going to talk to you how you get out. But today I'm going to get you in. I'm going to get you in. So six ways we get into the cave of depression. Number one is this, out-of-control lifestyles, out-of-control lifestyles. There are two out-of-control lifestyles that can lead to depression. And as I'm teaching, I mean, this is just backed up by many other professionals that talk about outside of biology, how people end up in the cave of depression. And the first is out-of-control lifestyles, out-of-control lifestyles. One of the major reasons Elijah ended up in depression was because his lifestyle was out of control. Elijah had out-of-control emotions, out-of-control emotions. Let me say this to his church. The hardest person to lead is yourself. And when you don't lead yourself well, it will impact your mental health. Elijah did not lead his emotions well. His emotions were all over the place. I mean, you, you read in 1 Kings chapter number 18, and Elijah was, was having this, this encounter with these, these false prophets, these, these, these prophets of Baal, and he defeated them. And the Bible says there were 850 prophets against one man named Elijah. And Elijah, the scripture says in 1 Kings 18, he built this sacrifice. He put water all over the sacrifice. And then he prayed to God to come down with fire and to consume the sacrifice. And God did that very thing. He came down and consumed the sacrifice with fire. You talking about a spiritual and an emotional high. And then Jeremiah put the 850 prophets of Baal to the sword and they lost their lives. And, and then immediately, I mean, just immediately following this spiritual high, this spiritual victory, this emotional high right there in 1 Kings 18, then, then Jeremiah prays to God, God, there has not been rain on the land for three and a half years. We're in a drought. And Jeremiah calls out, he prays to God, he intercedes, God, send rain on the land. And God answers his prayer and sends rain on the land after a three and a half year drought. You talking about a spiritual high? You talking about victory? You talking about an emotional high? God is on the move. God is using Jeremiah. And then you keep on reading. And here's what happens next. Ahab, who is the king, told his wife Jezebel, who's the queen, everything Elijah had done in 1 Kings chapter 18 and how he, he put the prophets to the sword. And so Jezebel sent a message to Elijah. Let me read that to you, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. She said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your life. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. 
I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. I mean, you would think after defeating 850 prophets of Baal, calling down fire from heaven, you would think he would say, bring it on, sister. Bring it on. You don't want none of this. You don't know who you're talking to. Do you? I just call fire down from heaven. But no, no, that's not what happened. Instead, Elijah goes from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. I've noticed that the enemy attacks me most after my greatest spiritual victories. It's amazing. It's amazing. One of the battles I have to fight, and it was a lot more challenging when I began pastoring than it is today. But Sundays after move of God, preaching, people saved, lives changed. It's amazing on Sunday night, sitting there in my chair, depressed. I go, why did I say that? I should have said that. Why did I do that? What happened? Where was that family at today? What's going on? I, I mean, right? It's amazing after spiritual victories how the enemy can come in and begin to attack. And I remember in my younger years of pastoring, I can remember thinking, man, the attendance was down 10 people. I'd be depressed. Oh, Jesus, Lord have mercy. I was, like, I was just on an emotional roller coaster. Y'all go ahead and miss now. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to eat my Doritos and praise the Lord. Hope I, I hope I see you the week after. But, but right, I used to be depressed. I'm serious. And it's amazing how you can be on an emotional high. Your highs get too highs and your lows get too low. And I'm telling you, some of you are finding yourself in the cave of depression because you don't manage your own emotions well. You allow your highs to get too high and your lows to get too lows. But not only did Jeremiah land in the cave of depression because of out-of-control emotions, but also because of an out-of-control schedule. Out-of-control schedules can put you in the cave of depression. I wonder how Elijah's schedule impacted his mental health. I, I, just, I just went there in my mind. He, he just prayed down fire from heaven. He, he's been, he's been in, this, in this intense battle with these prophets and, and building this altar and sacrifice to the Lord and calling fire from heaven and then defeating them, 850 prophets with the sword. I mean, that's intense stuff right there. And, then, and now he's calling out to God. He's interceding for the entire nation. God's sin rain. God sin rain. God sin rain. And then right after God sins rain, then Jezebel comes with this message. And the Bible says that, Jer that, that, that Elijah took off running for his life. Some scholars believe that he went on a journey about 15 to 16 miles. I'm telling you, the brother was just plumb smack wore down. He's tired. It wasn't good. Let me give you a word of wisdom. Don't let your pace outpace you. Not everything that's doable is sustainable. And a lot of people create a pace that is not sustainable, and then their pace catches up with them. That's why the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 6, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. Some of you are thinking, well, what do you mean one handful is better? God gave me two hands. So two handfuls 
is better than one handful. No, 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 no. That's not what the scripture says. It's not always good to have both your hands full. Two handfuls doesn't always equal peace of mind. Sometimes it's better to have one job instead of two. Maybe it's better to have one car payment instead of two. Maybe it's better to have one of your kids in one sport at a time instead of, instead of two sports at a time. Maybe it's better to go out to eat once a week than twice a week. Maybe it's better to do an extra acti- extracurricular activity once a week instead of twice, as week, uh, twice a week. What I'm saying is people have a philosophy. If one is good, two is better. If one dollar is good, two dollars is better. If one donut is good, two is better. If one Oreo is good, two is better. If one wife is good, two is wrong. Don't you do that. Don't you do that. More and more research points to our lifestyle. Please hear this, church. Our lifestyles as a main factor that cause depression. That was true for me. When I look back at my lifestyle during that season, I wasn't taking one day off a week. I was working 60, 70, 80 hours every week. I wasn't sleeping good at night. Two and three hours of sleep at night. Going to bed late. Waking up early, worried about so many things. I was not taking care of myself. And that led me into the cave of depression. My own lifestyle helped me get in the cave of depression. I want you to see number two, number two, number two. How do we get in the cave of depression? Comparing yourself to others. I want you to see this. And I read it to you a moment ago in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. Elijah said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Why in the world is he comparing himself to his ancestors? What does that have to do with anything? It doesn't even make sense in the story when you read it. But one of the reasons a lot of people get depressed is because they're so focused on what everybody else is doing. And the compare game causes emotional pain, not emotional gain. The more you focus on what they have and why they have it or what they're doing and why they're doing it, the more it robs you of the joy that God wants to give to you. Listen to what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 4. Pay careful. This is so key. Those first three words. Pay careful attention. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. I got a word for somebody today. You do you. You focus on what God has called you to do. You do you. Because if you spend your time comparing yourself to everybody else, it's going to send you into the cave of depression. I've got a word from God for somebody today. Somebody today that's watching me in this building at another campus online, somebody today, today needs to start a 90-day social media break. It's driving you crazy. You don't have any peace. Sitting there at night, spending hours looking. Mm. 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 
I know that is not even, that's not even real. Well, she, that's not even real. I just know. That, not even, mm, mm, got you a house. Mm, got you a date. Mm, look at you eating steak again. Mm, hate you, hate you, hate you. Stop! What are you doing? Pay attention to your own work. To your own life. You do you. It'll set you free. It'll set you free. Preach, Pastor. I'm trying to. Trying to help somebody today. Number three is this. How we get in the cave of depression. Negative self-talk. Negative self-talk. Notice this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. Notice what he says. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Elijah said, look, God, I've been working hard for you. I've killed all those wicked people, and I'm the only good person left. Look, God, no one else around Israel is living for you, except for little old me. And now, God, they're trying to kill me too. That wasn't true at all. Elijah's negative self-talk caused him to talk himself into believing a lie. You know anybody like that? They just talk so much. They're just so negative. They start to say stuff that don't even make sense. Like, what are you talking about? I'm telling you, it's true. Not what are you talking about? Right? Just, just negative self-talk. The devil loves negative self-talk. That, that's his favorite environment because the battle is won or lost in the mind. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. The battles won or lost in the mind. An author named Brian Tracy said, 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself. That's why your Bible says that life and death is in the power of your tongue. That's why the Bible is so strong on this topic. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6 says the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. If you control your mind, you control your life, but an out-of-control life leads to an out-of-control mouth, and an out-of-control mouth leads to an out-of-control life. Watch what you say. Stop the negative talk. Quit saying you're stupid and you're dumb and you can't do it, and God will never bless me. He'll never help me he'll never turn it around you got to stop speaking it quit talking to yourself that way silence the negative self-talk there's a, a a fourth way we end up in the cave of depression and number four is this inability to process pain in a healthy way elijah was growing through a painful season there's no doubt about it the queen wanted to kill him and one of the things that led him into the cave of depression was he did not process pain in a healthy way. And I, I see this all the time. So many people do not process pain in an unhealthy way. I was one of those people. When I ended up in depression, I was going through some pain. I was leading through some stuff. And I did not process the pain in a healthy way. And some of you find yourself there. You're not processing your pain in a healthy way. 
You're playing the victim. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. It's not processing pain in a healthy way. You're blaming everybody else. You just, just, just point fingers all the time. You're, you're blaming everybody else. It's not a healthy way to process pain. Some of you are running from pain. You're just running. You're just trying to outrun it. You're not processing pain in a healthy way. Some of you are mad at pain. You're just mad at your pain. Some of you are not processing pain in a healthy way because you're shocked by your pain. And friends, you should never be shocked that you're going through pain. Pain is a part of life. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that, it may, that, that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, I've noticed something about life. No, I've never met one person that has this Bible verse on their refrigerator or mirror. I haven't met one. Uh, I, I, hey, I just want well, my Bible verse for today. You will have trouble. Hadn't met one person. But it's true. In life, you will have trouble. You, you, will have, you will have pain. And the majority of people turn to unhealthy ways to cope with their pain. They turn to drugs or to alcohol, to overeating, to TV binging or to video games at 3 o'clock in the morning. People try to escape their pain in unhealthy ways. And when the pandemic started in March of 2020, after the first month of the pandemic, drug addiction went up 18%. In April, it went up 29%. In May, it went up 42%. We're just getting worse and worse and worse. And now today, as a pastor, I realize that we're trying to minister to all of the impact, to all of the trauma, to all of the pain that people have went through in 2020 and in 2021. And church, pain and trouble is real. And I just want to give you a different view of your pain. I want you to understand that your pain has a purpose. We all go through pain and we can either use it to make a difference or we can use it to cause us to plunge into depression. Here's what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse 3 through 4. It says, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now notice, who comforts us in all our troubles. I want you to know this about your God. He wants to comfort you in your trouble. He didn't want the bottle to comfort you, the pills to comfort you. He wants to comfort you. He didn't want the food to comfort you. He wants to comfort you in all your troubles. But the question is why? Why? It's not just for you to get better. Notice what he goes on to say. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. There's purpose in your pain. Your pain does not disqualify you. It qualifies you to help somebody else who's going through the exact same thing that you went through. God wants to take your pain and your trauma and your disappointment and your hurt and your heartbreak and he wants to take it and he wants to use it that you would use it to make a difference in somebody else's life. Somebody needs to hear me. Your pain has a purpose. Your pain has a purpose. Number five is this. How do we end up in the cave of depression? Number five is isolation. Notice this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Mistake. Big mistake. 
Elijah left his servant and went on the journey by himself. He thought, I got this. I can handle this by myself. And he isolated himself. The worst mistake you can make is to go on the journey by yourself. To, to think you're going to figure it out by yourself. And we do that. I did that when I was in depression. I'm going to muscle my way through it. I'm going to get through this. I can handle this. I'm, I, I can do it alone. And we think that. But if you go on the journey alone, you will only end up deeper and deeper in the cave of depression. I want you to remember this, church. Don't ever forget this. The first problem in the Bible wasn't sin. It was solitude. The first thing that went wrong wasn't the devil in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. It was actually in chapter 2 when God said the first problem, the first issue I'm seeing, it's not good for us to be alone. And your spiritual enemy wants you to be alone in your pain. Don't go through pain. Don't go through trouble. Don't go through heartache. Don't go through struggle. Don't go through depression alone. It's the plan of the enemy to get you alone. Why we talk about small groups, why we talk about community, because the enemy wants you isolated. He will wear you out in isolation. No matter if you're going through trouble, you need the help of people. I want you to quickly, I want you to quickly see this story of someone going through trouble and how people help them out of their trouble. Check out this video. We had both been married both been divorced and I say neither one of us had a good example that we had lived we had like her parents who had been married 41 years other than that everybody was divorced or they were single so I didn't have an example of what that was supposed to look like I really really wanted to be a part of like a married small group so we could grow together meet people that were couples we didn't really have any couple friends and it was funny because I remember thinking like, okay, if he's gonna be in a small group, kinda doesn't wanna be in a small group. <laughs> it's like your wife making mandatory friends for you. <laughs> it was a play date and I really didn't wanna go. So I, I just had these things in my head like, oh God, if you have this perfect small group, it's gonna have like these things we need. And he hooked us up with uh, Carlos and Marcy Moore and it was just all the things that I would never have dreamt of asking for in a small group. Because it was like somebody understands all those points. Like if you have a problem with your ex, somebody there understands. The biracial or blended or any of those things, people understood. And it was, it was almost pretty instant that we were like, wow, these people are a lot more like us than we could have possibly imagined or asked for. We got into a fight and got frustrated with each other and decided to separate. But we were in two separate bedrooms. We drove separate cars to work at the same place. We were perfectly content coming home and eating dinner with the kids and hanging out with the kids. And then when they went to bed, we would just do our separate thing. Me personally, I'd given up. I was done, I was like, I'm tired of fighting. I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to argue with you anymore. And I got to that point where I just said, we're just, we're just going to get a divorce. I remember 
um, Marcy texting me one time and saying like, are you gonna come to small group this week? So I packed up the kids, got in the car, and he's like, bye. And for the whole summer, he didn't come to small group. I kept coming every week, pretty sure I cried through most of them. Um, the people kept reaching out to us. One day, uh, Ray asked me, he said, uh, can you think you could come by and help me replace the starter on my daughter's truck? I went to Ray's house and I crawled underneath the truck and I think I expected him to preach at me. And instead, he just listened to me. Regardless of what you and your wife are going through, he was there for me. And he finally agreed as like a last ditch effort to go to counseling. We heard about the marriage conference and our, our counselor that we were seeing, he thought it would be a good idea. Things just really changed. We sat with a bunch of people from our small group. They prayed with us, they talked with us and our counseling turned around. We started talking and somewhere in there, we just decided that we could, we could do this. And it was really cool coming back to small group because they just welcomed us back like it was no thing. It was amazing for me to go to your small group, to have hard conversations, and if you're looking for an answer, they would pray for you. That's what your small group is for. They're there to help you, to get you through things. I've looked for that pretty much through my whole life. Help, healing, hope, strength, victory, comes when we're together small groups make that kind of a difference would you get in a small group don't don't be isolated don't be isolated get on the app find a small group zoom or in person whatever suits you best but get in a small group get in one it's so good for your mental health for your spiritual growth our leaders will be out in the lobby talking to you small group leaders will be all around the lobby go talk to somebody get connected victory happens in small groups. Here's the sixth one. Here's the sixth one. I'm talking to you how we get in the cave. Next week, we're going to get out the cave. Here's the sixth reason we get in the cave. Spiritual warfare. Elijah was under spiritual attack. He was taking ground for God's kingdom. And Jezebel was a tool of the enemy who was trying to stop him. She was threatening his very life. And I've come to tell somebody today, as a Christian, you're in a spiritual battle. There's a real enemy that is fighting. There's a real devil who is a spirit who's out to steal, kill, and to destroy your life. Church, hear me today. Everything is more spiritual than you realize. You just name the situation, name the battle you're in, name the fight you're in. Everything is more spiritual than you realize you're fighting against a real spiritual enemy. That's why the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking, around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Some of you did not realize that you're in a spiritual battle for your mental health, a spiritual battle for your family, for your relationships, for your peace, for your joy, for your faith. And today I've come full of faith. I've come prayed up. And I believe today that something's going to break in somebody's life today. Depression's going to break off somebody today. I really believe it. I 
heaviness is going to break off somebody today. Some of you are dealing with strongholds today. Strongholds are going to break today in the presence of the Lord. I've got faith for you today that God's going to show up. He's going to set somebody's free. Depression's going to get kicked out of your mind and your heart and your spirit today. Somebody today is going to get victory. Would you stand with me all around the location? Every location would you stand? Every location would you stand? And come on, just right now before they begin to sing. At every location, would you begin to lift your hands and say, God, do it today. Lord, move today. Lord, set free today. Lord, heal today. Lord, I pray today. Something has to break. Something has to break. Something has to break.